Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, May 13th, 2022. Given that this show will post on May 17th, the 17th is the day that the Art of Lightyear, the making of book that celebrates Pixar's next theatrical release, hits store shelves. Chronicle Books was nice enough to send me a free review copy of this 176-page hardcover. Just which, to chime in, I know that this is the Jim Hill show, yep. but I, then I also got a copy, so I and, it, and the plastic is still on it. So. Well, see, no, that's the thing. I was about to say that honoring the request that you made, I mean, I have taken the plastic off. I, I want to show you. Plastic-free. I have not opened this. Okay. I'm going to have to take your word for it. I mean, at this point. You were the first to tell me about... The time travel aspect, and yes. you've seen this whole thing, right? At this I point? haven't seen the whole thing. I've only seen the first 30 minutes, but okay. I loved it. Okay. Got my Lego set of the ship and everything that I still need to build, so. But again, I've been good. I have not looked. I'm, I'm okay. trying to save it here. Should also point out another book coming out later this month. It's called Making the Cut at Pixar, The Art of Editing Animation. This arrives on May 31st of this year. Bill Kinder and Bobby Osteen wrote this 232-page tome. And no less than Leonard Moulton, who described it as illuminating. You want to learn how Pixar Animation reimagined the role that a film editor plays in creation of animated features? I suggest once May 31st rolls around, you pick up a copy of this new book from Rutledge. Lots of stuff happened the past week uh, besides literary news and speaking of news. The news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Drew, last week we were talking about how terrible the trailers have been today for DC League of Super Pets. However, just today... The trailer for Luck has been released. What did we think? I know that you liked it. I did. This is what a teaser trailer is supposed to be? I guess it's a good trailer. I thought the animation was pretty lackluster. Really? Um, Yeah, especially the cat's weird little teeth. I was not (laughs) super into that. Um, Need need we bring up uh, Sonic uh, from the original version of Sonic? Um, Okay, you... I mean, this is this is like it's very apparent that they're not working within a Pixar budget, let's say. I saw this this morning, <laughs> literally like six o'clock in the morning. I thought, oh, Drew's day has been made. This is Simon Pegg. I mean, you, I mean, you, Simon you, Pegg. I love I love yeah, that. But you yeah. know what? I also I've kind of gotten tired of these things that. The whole world is like this, like kind of machination, like, you know, this is how this is luck and this is good luck and this is bad luck. And there's Mm -hmm. a woman that stumbles in. It just felt it felt very old Pixar, whereas new Pixar is like, yeah, there's a couple of kids that are sea monsters and they turn into humans. Yeah, don't worry about it. Like that is more (laughs) what I'm into. Oh, there's a teenage girl who turns into a. uh, into a giant red pen. You know, the, the specifics aren't really important. Okay. You know, that's kind of I mean, like... You know, it, it, it's so funny because I was thinking one of the virtues of this was it was old Pixar. In fact, when I was looking at this teaser mm-hmm. trailer, 
Do you remember the original teaser trailer for Monsters, Inc., where it was just that bedroom and Mike and Sully and yes. Outer Mongolia? It's like, I'm going to go back to the break room before we're out of donuts. It set up the world. It set up the characters. I thought this was a virtue, and clearly you and I disagree on this point. I just, I don't need that elaborate world. I'm just, okay. I'm just interested in cool characters doing cool things. And you know what? I look forward. I hope this surprises me, and it's mm-hmm. one of my faves. But I just couldn't get into it. I could not get into it. Okay, well, let me poke the bear a little bit more here. <laughs> because you and I were both at the Zootopia press event at Disney World back in February of 2016. And yep. you must have heard the same story from Byron Howard that I heard. He goes to John Lasseter, you know, the effect of what do you want to do next? And Byron says, well, you know, I want to do one of those movies like Robin Hood with anthropomorphized animal characters to walk around like humans. And John's like, that's a great idea. I love that movie. I'm looking at the background as Bob the cat is walking through the factory floor. And yeah, we got leprechauns, but we also got pigs. We got rabbits. We got goats. I get that this is Peggy Holmes movie. But knowing that John really likes anthropomorphized animals, I can't help but thinking it's leaning into what he loved. Any thoughts? I feel like I needed to go look up, like, are goats lucky in some cultures or Mm -hmm. whatever? Because, yeah, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But you know what? Mm -hmm. I hope we see it soon. We have so many good animated movies coming out this summer. And also a Minions movie. <laughs> That's your joke for you. Boom! Okay! Boom! Hey! I'm here all week. But, um, yeah, I just hope... I'm glad it's an original. I think that's really great, and I can't wait to see what the world is like. But, yeah, I just thought... I was not impressed. I was not uh, not okay. into it. But, you know, I've seen, I've seen parts of The Sea Beast, which I can't talk about yet. I've seen mm-hmm. Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of... Lightyear. There's just a lot of great stuff coming out. So I hope that competition kind of like, you know, the cream will will rise to the top or whatever. But we'll see. We'll see, Jim. I'll keep an open mind for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The downside is that Apple's not all that great at merchandising either, right? I'm not going to be able to get a a cat plush. Damn it. Okay. You'll have to keep your your socks plush close. There we go. There we go. Okay, it's the month of May, which is traditionally kind of a brutal time in television. I mean, did you see how many shows CBS canceled yesterday? Yeah, I was reading about it today. Yeah, particularly those those uh, CW shows. Like, uh, there's like nothing left. Yeah. But yeah. apparently it has to do with the kind of like convoluted nature of the CW and who owns what and I streaming that. rights and all this weird stuff. I get that. But again, this is what happens in May. You you find out whether or not your show lives and dies. And one of the shows that got canceled today, which was weird because it came out almost a year minus a week uh, on Hulu. The Marvel's MODOK show, the one that Pat Oswalt did the voice of of the title character for. I was surprised they were even considering doing a second season of it. I mean, yeah. don't, get, don't get me wrong. I thought Patton did yeoman's work as the voice of the character and stupid buddies do wonderful stop motion. But the premise of Modoc starring in an office comedy, I think was a little too meta. Well, it also, it was a Jeff Loeb project. 
from an, a slate of animated shows oh, that never God, actually. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. Hitmonkey was produced. That's not coming back either. Mm-hmm. And the, the two other shows were never even made, and they were mm-hmm. supposed to all come together in an Avengers-like miniseries called The Offenders. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So to me, it's more of a casualty of uh, corporate structure than anything else, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know who watched that first one or who would watch it again. So, yeah, I thought... You were talking about the CW and who owns what and how corporate structure often dictates what shows go forward. What did you think of the news that broke about the animated version of Married with Children that's being shopped around? Yeah, I don't really understand. I mean, I was first of all, I was very interested to know that Sony actually owns it because it was such a... It was one of Fox's first real sort of tentpole oh, shows. yeah. yeah. And it was something that I was never allowed to watch, Jim, because it was too crude. So I've never actually, I've never seen it. I guess I could defy my parents' orders at this point in life. But there also doesn't seem to be anything so super animated about it. Like, mm-hmm. even we've had family comedies that were animated, but I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting. It's, it's also interesting that they've already gotten everybody back to do voices. Yeah, but. yeah. I also want to point out here that Alex Carter, he's an executive producer, a family guy who, who's going to be the showrunner, who's driving the bus here. But just because you get this sort of heat, I can't help but think, do you remember back in like 2011 when Seth MacFarlane announced he was going to revive the Flintstones? Yes. Whatever happened to that? Seth was so confident. I mean, he was talking about first episodes will drop in 2013. And there's a couple of pieces of concept art, which, surprise, surprise, really look like they're done by the guys who did Family Guy. But it was also, it was one of these things where they just evidently couldn't, they wanted it updated. They wanted to play to the original show's virtues, but also make it play for a modern audience and just couldn't get that Venn diagram to line up. And and you're right. Uh, you know, uh, when uh, when I think of, of Married with Children, it's a lot of Al Bundy sitting on the couch with his hand down the front of his pants. But um, but on the other hand, there are shows that were tr- traditional sitcoms that have been translated to animation. I mean, Corner Gas, the animated series, I want to say they got four seasons out of that. Up, uh, That's, I forget which of the CBC, I want to say the, the Canadian Broadcasting Company. This is the second time you've brought this up. I love and this show. no one has ever seen the show. Oh. And uh, I think people are going to riot, Jim, if I, you bring that up again. But maybe I, we have a lot of people. All right. I, I'm going to make you sit down at one. I will pick. I will select an episode. This <laughs> okay. seriously is. Where one is of, it streaming? God, I want to say IMDb TV. Oh, you mean it's now, now, Jim, it's called Freevee. Freevee. Oh, yes. well, I, I, yeah. I'm behind the times here. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I'll select the episode. You'll say, you'll understand. It's a really funny show. Okay. okay. We were talking on the last show about Green Lantern, Beware My Power. We just found out that this Warner Brothers Home Entertainment release is going to premiere at San Diego Comic-Con. Are we thinking of going this year, Drew? You know, I usually meander over. Okay. Whether it's, you know, whether it's assigned to me or not, I usually do at okay. least put in a, a day or so of comic. I like to go in late and leave early, Jim. That's kind of my okay. my modus operandi because, yeah, Comic-Con is a huge pain in the thuckus, but oh, you is. know. It is. And also, I mean, if you if you make the mistake of doing the whole thing, I mean, it used to be preview night was doable. And in fact, you can actually preview the thing. And now... Preview night is almost as busy as Friday or Saturday. 
And God help you, if you, you, you commit to doing the whole thing by Sunday, Sunday afternoon, to then make the drive back up to L.A. after five days of doing this, and you're in traffic with 10,000 other people who are just as exhausted as you are. Yeah, that drive is miserable. There's nothing to look at. It's just terrible. No, no, yeah. no. And everybody's nodding off. So, you know, it's just sort of like not a good time. Not a good no. time. But anyway, they're going to be holding the premiere of Green Lantern, Beware My Power, at Comic-Con. It's going to be Friday night, July 22nd, after a panel with the voice talent. Going to be held in Ballroom 20, and chances are, folks, you line up for this one, you'll get in. Ballroom 20 is huge. It, it holds 4,800 people. I think the only bigger venue at, at Comic-Con is Hall H, which holds 6,500. But if you're like Drew and myself, you desperately kiss up press people and sneak in the back door. Or you go to a pre- you go to a panel you have no interest in in the morning and you <laughs> sit there all day until you're the one you're actually interested in. I have done that. I am not proud. Yeah. The smells in that place really kind of start to <laughs> ripen after a few hours. The folks at the San Diego Tourism Board are loving yeah. you tonight, Trump. <laughs> Come to San Diego and smell our sweaty nerds. <laughs> Okay, if, yeah. if on the other hand, you, you would prefer to sw- smell sweaty nerds in Florida. Ooh. On October 15th of this year, the world chapter of the Disneyana Fan Club is going to be hosting an event to celebrate the boy who never grew up. This event is going to feature appearances by Margaret Carey, the live-action reference model that Mark Davis modeled Tinkerbell after, and Disney historian Jim Corcus. There will be a welcoming brunch, and uh, Jim Corcus will be unveiling his latest Disney history book, off to Neverland, 70 years of Disney's Peter Pan, which, by the way, Ms. Carey wrote the foreword for. While we're on the topic of Peter Pan, is there any news on David Lowry's Peter Pan and Wendy? I mean, that finished shooting up in Vancouver in September of last year, and they did a, a week or so of reshoots this past February. Is the plan still that does Disney Plus? Or, or? Yeah, it's Disney Plus, but it's I think it's next year. Oh, I don't know if that's been announced or not, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So it'll be Pinocchio is the big one this year and then Peter Pan will be next year. Got it. And and Chip and Dale is next week, Jim. Are you excited about that? I have seen additional ads and I am intrigued. I mean, mind you, I was intrigued when you were telling me this about, about this thing two years ago. Yes. It's a question of, can they sustain the tone of what they're suggesting in the trailers and all that? All the way through. Yeah. It seems kind of ambitious. I mean, you know, yeah, I, it's, I, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think I can talk about it. Yeah, I can talk about it now. And, uh, cool. you know, Peter Pan, Peter Pan factors into it. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, and that drops next week, right? Or Yes, the 20th. So it'll be a few days after this okay. episode cool, cool, cool. comes out. Yeah. All right. Can't wait. Now, when Drew and I get back, we will talking, be talking about HR Puffin stuff. Wow, Jim, you really need, you know how to keep people on the edge of their seat when you bring up a defunct property from 50 years ago. There's a reason. (laughs) Hang in there. Okay. Okay. All right. So a couple of things we need to get to before we get to the feature. I previously talked about how much I enjoyed that sequence in Madagascar, Europe's Most Wanted, where Alex and the lion and the other animals performed this amazing circus act to Katy Perry's fireworks. Well, it seems like Ms. Perry is now getting into the animation game herself. She's going to voice the title character in Melody? I saw this, yeah. 
And, and folks, please listen to the level of enthusiasm. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, do you want to talk about who is doing it? Yes, please. Well, it's it's Zagtoons who does uh, Ladybug and whatever. Yeah, magnificent Ladybug or, or something to that effect, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they're like, it's sort of a Euro kind mm-hmm. of like, it's almost like a like kind of the new version of Lupin, but mm-hmm. targeted, targeted more at young women where there's a thief and there's, I don't know what it's going on. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's that company, Zagtoons, that's mm-hmm. doing okay. Melody. And I think the world is just on the edge of its seat. It's like the audience, when when you brought up H.R. Puff and stuff before the break, that is the world waiting for Melody, <laughs> I think. Oh, well, all right. The storyline proposed in this film, uh, Melody is a kind-hearted, insecure singer who must overcome the evil plans of Rose Stellar, a jealous, wicked pop queen who has vowed to destroy her. Uh, Setting us the backdrop of New York City, Melody will take audiences on an adventure of song, laughter, and heroic quest. In her arsenal, Melody has seven musical notes that set her apart and have magical qualities that help her guide her moral compass. I like the the music part. It's like, did you did you see Doctor Strange this weekend? I did. I did. Yes. I love that musical uh, battle. Mm-hmm. Oh you yeah, know, with the yeah. with the notes and. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, there's a, a wonderful piece I want to say in the Hollywood Reporter where Danny, Danny Elfman is talking about working on that particular scene. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Doctor Strange, whereas Melody sounds interesting. Is that a polite way of putting it? Yeah. Well, Jim, I also have to tell you, on home video right now, you mm-hmm. can watch Bell and The Bad Guys just dropped this week on digital. Did so, it really? Oh, yeah. Cool. So you're, you have some watching to do. All right. That, that I do. That I do. Yeah. But speaking of, of having some watching to do, did you see this 20 DVD set for Aquatina Hunger Force that just got announced? The I, I want to say the Baffler Meal Collection? Yeah, I'm excited about it. 140 episodes of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, 11 seasons. And I still remember November or December of 2000, when a friend at Cartoon Network, you know, oh, we got the show coming up on Adult Swim, and it's like, well, what's it about? It's about a box of French fries, a milkshake, and a wad of meat that's supposed to fight crime, but they never leave the house. And it's <laughs> it's one of those things. Where, wow, that that sounds interesting. I'm I'm sure that's going to run. I mean, yeah, it, it's a hallmark of the uh, Adult Swim it programming is. block, and there, you know, in 2019, we were promised another movie, so. Coming to HBO Max. So. This is true. Okay, interesting. The hype that wheels have started turning, mm. I'm sure. Now, that said, though, because I grew up in the 1960s and watched way too many Saturday morning cartoons, I saw far weirder crime fighters than Frylock, Master Shake, and Meatwad. And I still remember September of 1969. I was 10 at the time, Drew, when I first saw H.R. Puff and stuff, which, as you keep pointing out, not animated but was a show where live performers with elaborate costumes played out stories in front of uh, these very colorful sets. A show which came from the minds of Sid and Marty Croft was expensive to produce. That's why only one season of H.R. Puffin stuff. Really? Just one. 17 episodes plus a movie for theatrical release. Uh, it was just called Puffin Stuff. Released to theaters in June of 1970s, and it was a co-production between Universal Pictures and Kellogg Serial. <laughs> so 
Martin Croft got a, a very interesting start in show business. These were two guys who specialized in, in doing elaborate puppets. And the thing that really put them on the map was a show they did out in Las Vegas in 57. It was called Les Popes de Paris. What kept the guys coming back for more was, remember how Vegas's appeal was topless dancers? I think it's still the appeal, yeah. <laughs> but the appeal of this puppet show is it had life-size girl puppets that were topless. What market segment is, oh, honey, <laughs> you know, look what I got tickets to. Let's, let's go to the topless puppet show. They got a reputation for building really great puppet costumes, which was why when uh, Hanna-Barbera decided that it wanted to try its hand at doing something different, a show that mixed animation and live action, the Banana Splits, they actually hired the Crofts to build the suits for the show, uh, Flegel, Bingle, Drooper, and Snork. Meanwhile, NBC looks at what the Crofts have delivered, likes what they see, and says, hey, how would you like to make a show for our network? And this is where H.R. Puffinstuff comes in. And when it debuts in, in September 69, gets a lot of attention, and Drew, some of that attention came from fast food giant McDonald's. You know the whole Disney Grey Croc story, right? Well, didn't he show Walt the kind of like conveyor belt system and, and said this would be really great for, for Disneyland and Walt kind of brushed him off? Supposedly they knew each other from World War One. What? The story that Croc used to tell was that they had both been in the ambulance corps. And so when Disneyland was a success and Ray was still getting McDonald's up out of the ground, remember, he got in with the McDonald brothers in their San Bernardino restaurant and then sort of, well, you've seen the, the, the Michael Keaton movie. That movie's good. That, that is, is a, good, a movie. good movie. No, I yeah. agree. I agree. So the fact that Ray missed out on Disneyland kind of got at him. But he saw what Walt was doing with walk-around characters of the park, and he saw this H.R. Puffin stuff thing, and suddenly it's like, what if we had characters? What if the McDonald's restaurants had characters? So McDonald's hires an ad agency, Needham, Harper, and Steers, and they developed McDonald Land and come up with these, these characters. And Early 1970, right as H.R. Prophet is in the middle of its first and only scenes in, on NBC. Now, mind you, it gets rerun forever. So they reach out to Sid Marty Croft and ask them if they'd be willing to partner an ad campaign based on the characters that Needham, Harper, and Steers had created. And would the H.R. Puffin stuff creative team be willing to work on it with them. So phone calls are exchanged. There's a former letter between McDonald's and the Crofts about, you know, they're interested. And then, you know, clear out of the blue, the ad agency calls in, hey, the plan's been scrapped. But then in January of 1971, the McDonald Land commercials begin airing. And the Crofts are looking at this and it's like, that's our stuff. Like, they hired some of the people who actually worked in HR Puff and stuff to work on the commercials. Some of the voice talent, the actual voice wow. talent from the show. And so September of 71, they take McDonald's to court. And it takes six years 
for this to get resolved. Evidently, the, the key bit of evidence is that they put a picture of Mayor McCheese and H.R. Puffin stuff up side by side. And it's like, here's H.R. Puffin stuff with his hamburger-shaped head and with his sash that says he's the mayor of Living Island. And here's Mayor McCheese with, oddly enough, a hamburger-shaped head and his sash. Jury comes back and orders McDonald's to pay over a million dollars. That includes... $6,000 for every single commercial that had produced, been produced featuring the McDonald line characters, $5,000 for each of the commercial items that have been produced in the likeness of those characters. And meanwhile, the Crofts continue to do other shows for Saturday morning, things like Lidsville, Buggaloos, Sigmund and the Sea Monster, and Land of the Lost. And, and I bring this all up, Drew, because this coming Saturday, May 21st, CroftCon. The very first convention dedicated to the talents of Sid and Marty Croft is going to be presented inside the Orinda Theater in Orinda, California, just a couple of miles away from Berkeley. The theater is going to be decorated just like Living Island from H.R. Puffinstock, and they have persuaded a lot of the talent who appeared in the shows to come up for this event. Uh, we got Butch Patrick from The Munsters, who is the star of Lidsville. Uh, we got Johnny Whitaker, Jody from uh, Family Affair. Uh, he was in Sigmund of the Sea Monster. And for you Disney fans out there, former Mouseketeer Sharon Baird, who played a lot of the smaller characters in H.R. Prophets that will be there. But the event runs from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. They're going to screen episodes of the show. Lunch will be served on TV trays. And of course, because we're celebrating Saturday morning, lunch is a bowl of breakfast cereal. But there'll be question and answer period, wow. lectures, costume contests. And the one thing that will really make it worthwhile is the evening ends with a screening of Puffin Stuff, that movie I mentioned, the co-production between Universal and Kellogg. This became a real favorite of those folks who were doing acid in the, the, the 60s and 70s. This is when we say, Jim, real heads know. And not <laughs> not, not fans, but you know, heads. You there know. we, there yeah. we go. But yeah, this is Billy Hayes' Witchy Poo, but also Cass Elliot and Martha Ray are in the film as, as members of the Witches Council, but very trippy. Anyway, admission is $25 for all day, and or you can get a VIP pass for 45 bucks. That gets you a commemorative CroftCon t-shirt, a VIP badge, and a gift bag. I'm betting that the bare-breasted girl puppets from the Las Vegas shows aren't going to make the trip. But beyond that, if anybody goes, we would love to hear how CroftCon went. Yeah, this sounds like an absolute nightmare to me, Jim, so I am really <laughs> interested. My favorite, like, appropriation of, of Croft material was in... Millennium, which was sort of the companion show to the X-Files, and Charles yes. Nelson Riley had this amazing character named Jose Chung who was in X-Files and who uh. went on to Millennium. And they actually showed a clip from Lids his episode of Lidsville as like this author's kind of like weird 70s period. I don't know if anyone oh. remembers this, but yeah, it's an amazing little clip in that very dark show. Oh, that's so cool. All yeah. right. Have you ever seen the one-man show that Charles Nelson Riley did? No. He talks about when he was a kid, the circus was in town. And so he snuck away and, you know, and he's running away. And mother sees him leaving and is like, I hope the circus burns down. And it turns out Charles is going to the theater or going to the circus. And I want to say this is 44 in Hartford. 
the day the circus did, in fact, burn down. Oh, wow. It's, it is a, this, I mean, it's absolutely amazing story in the middle of this document and an incredibly entertaining documentary. I mean, he had it's such an amazing crew, which again, you know, Hello, Dolly, uh, How Does This Heat Business on Broadway, and The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, and things like Lidsville, as well as Millennium. I mean, he's had quite a life. I and mean, he's one of those personalities mm-hmm. who is just a personality, mm-hmm. like who just was on every talk show and yeah, told yeah. funny stories. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like, yeah. You know, it's you, he's really interesting. No, you could make a, a good living in that. And, and remember, you know, he also was on Match Game for years and years. Yes, and years, I was going to say he was always, you know, a square on. <sighs> he was. Uh, he was. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So we we have talked about absolutely no animation for the past <laughs> twenty minutes or so. Except except for luck, we've talked about luck. Yeah. There we go. There we yeah. go. But and now let's continue to not talk about animation because of course <laughs> you have your wonderful Light Diffuse podcast. Yeah, we're getting right into Light the Fuselage though now, Jim. I mean, we are turning on our afterburners and we are going. We are hitting that ignition and we are ready for Top Gun Maverick. I have not read a bad review for that film yet, which yeah. is kind of startling because it's like, I mean, a, a lot of people do point out, well, look, if you like the first film, uh, you know, there's a reason you'll like this one because there's kind of a note for note aspect to it. But everybody just talks about how great it is. And like, seriously, the, the air battle at the end is 30 or 40 minutes long. That can't be right. Well, no, I think the... I think the third act is probably thirty minutes. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything because it's such a wonderful experience to just watch it. I just hope you get your tickets, Jim, to the loudest, okay. largest theater that you can find. I'm definitely scoping out IMAX theaters. Okay. Good. Okay. You're, you're turning in the afterburners. Yes. What do we got? Well, we talked to director Joseph Kaczynski. We'll have him on the show. We just recorded oh, an episode. No. Yeah. Really? We, yeah. We recorded an episode with uh, Eddie Hamilton. That'll probably be a two-parter. Who's the editor? Who. You know, really had a Herculean task uh, ahead of him trying to, to manage all this footage. And, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just going to keep keep hitting people up. And um, I think it's going to be very, very fun. And uh, we love the movie so much. The movie is so good. And we can't wait to just talk about it forever. Uh, yeah, but anyway, you can follow me at Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt. People make fun of me for saying that. But I don't know how else not, to describe my name. It, so it's go. fine. You're good. Okay. Thank you. Jim. Okay. All right. Uh, for us for social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. That's going to do it for this week's fine tuning. So thanks for listening, and we will be back soon. <laughs>